Tuberculosis affects the lives of one third of the world's population. How does new optical imaging technology help the quest for more accurate diagnosis and treatment of this serious disease? You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment, The Future of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Lushars, and with me today from Texas is Dr. Jeffrey Cirillo. Dr. Cirillo is Associate Professor at the Department of Microbial and Molecular Pathogenesis at Texas A&M Health Science Center College of Medicine in College Station, Texas. Today, we're discussing new optical imaging technology to improve the accuracy of diagnosis and treatment of tuberculosis. Welcome, Dr. Cirillo, and thanks for joining me. Thank you. So what are the optical imaging techniques that you are researching? What we've been working on for a few years now is trying to develop both molecular and chemical techniques that allow us to directly detect tuberculosis at very low levels in any tissue of the body. So the goal is to be able to observe them in any niche at any time. And and that's a significant problem with tuberculosis because there often are very few organisms in each of the organs of the body. So we would like to be able to detect that at any times, potentially during the times when they're latent as well. And normally standard diagnostic methods cannot identify them either through sputum or in x-rays. They're not diagnosable at that time. So we're trying to enhance that, and using the chemical and molecular techniques, we'd like to be able to have the bacteria produce light that, by the wavelengths of light produced, directly tell us whether or not this is tuberculosis or another bacterial species, ultimately differentiating tuberculosis from other respiratory infections as well as cancers that it's often misdiagnosed as. At the moment, current methods of diagnosis of tuberculosis probably focus on CT scans or PET scans. How is your technique different? One of the disadvantages of the CT and PET scans, although they can find lesions, they oftentimes get diagnosed as a nodular lesion with unknown specificity, and so they have to go in and do an invasive procedure to take a sample and determine whether or not that is potentially a cancerous lesion or something that's infectious. And so this would allow us to directly determine whether or not it's an infectious agent very rapidly. We envision that ultimately we could give patients something to drink and then image them over the course of several hours afterwards. And we can directly take the light that is produced by the patient from the chemical compound that is being metabolized by the bacteria and see that they have an infectious lesion rather than something that is due to improper metabolism in their own bodies. What exactly are the names of the candidates that you're researching at the moment? In terms of the optical imaging techniques, the sequential reporter enzyme luminescence. We're using reporter enzyme fluorescence as well as sequential reporter enzyme luminescence. And can you explain for our physician listeners exactly what that means? What that does is, and both of those techniques are relatively similar, the reporter enzyme fluorescence is the simplest of the two in that what it does is it utilizes enzymes that are produced by the bacteria. So the nice thing about that is that gives you specificity right away because they're not produced by eukaryotic organisms or humans 
or any animals for that matter. They're produced only by bacterial species and use those enzymes to degrade a molecule that when it's degraded and oftentimes works by what's called FRET technology to unquench a fluorescent reporter molecule. And by unquenching that fluorescent reporter molecule, the molecule then produces a very strong fluorescence. And so that is a single enzymatic reaction. So the fact that it's catalytic allows almost infinite amplification of the signal that could be produced normally. So you're not just detecting based on the number of bacteria you have present or the number of molecules of enzyme, but it catalytically turns over the cleavage of that molecule. So it's extremely sensitive. And so that's reporter enzyme fluorescence, and the sequential reporter enzyme luminescence is just a modification of that. So what's being produced is a luminescent substrate, and that luminescent substrate is then acted on by a luciferase molecule, and the luciferase molecule cleaves it again to produce light. So it's two rounds of enzymatic amplification, and you can see that that allows for even greater sensitivity on top of the number of substrate molecules that are being produced by the reporter enzyme fluorescence-like reaction using the bacterial enzyme, you go a second step and use a luminescent enzyme to produce another series of molecules. So it amplifies the level of signal twice. So back to the clinical application for doctors who are treating patients, how do they actually administer? Currently, we're administering the molecules IV. But the ultimate goal would be to be able to administrate it orally, obviously. That would be the preferred route of administration. But most of these molecules, because they have very good tissue distribution, could be imbibed orally and and be fine. The problem there is obviously stability in the pH of the stomach. And so getting through that environment and having the molecule intact involves doing different compositions. And we really haven't gotten to that point yet. So at this point, we're still sticking with the IV inoculation. Is there any concern over toxicity to the patient? Most of these molecules have already been used in patients, and that's one of the great advantages is that we're sticking primarily with compounds that either all of the components or most of the components have already been in patients. So we think that this will have very good tolerance in patients because most of those molecules have been thoroughly tested in different animal models, multiple animal models. At this point, we haven't seen any toxicity at any level, and we've used very high levels of the molecules. And in general, obviously, since it's so sensitive, we don't have to use very high levels anyway. So we expect very little toxicity with these. If you're just joining us, you're listening to a special segment, The Future of Medicine, on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Lushars, and I'm speaking with Dr. Jeffrey Cirillo. We're discussing new optical imaging technology to improve the diagnosis and treatment of tuberculosis. Dr. Cirillo, how cost-effective are the new techniques that you're developing? I think that it depends on which area of diagnosis we're talking about. Certainly in comparison with radionuclide-based methods like PET and SPEC, it would be less expensive because obviously you don't have to produce the radioactive substrate. We're producing an optical substrate or a luminescent substrate. They're still relatively expensive to produce. The chemistry, the synthesis, and the development involved in making these molecules is, makes them relatively costly now. But should this make it to the clinics, we expect that they'll be very cost-effective by that time because they'll be being produced in mass quantities. 
And that's the main barrier, but I think that the imaging technology, so the machines that are involved, also can be a barrier in terms of cost-effectiveness. And pet inspect systems are very expensive, but they have multiple uses. And so what it looks like is going to happen with these optical imaging technologies is that they're going to be used for other areas of diagnosis, such as in cancer. And, and there's currently in clinical trials uh, several different optical systems to assist in surgeries and to assist in, in doing invasive procedures, as well as to diagnose breast cancer directly through the skin. And so some of these will probably have multiple areas of application, but I'd say optical technologies are still in their infancy as compared to some of the radioactive methods that currently exist. How would you apply these techniques in the developing world where the disease burden of tuberculosis is so large? This is an area that we're looking at right now. Certainly it would be great to be able to go directly into patients immediately with diagnosing lesions in the lungs, but one of the applications that we've kind of stumbled upon through the course of these technologies, because they're so sensitive and so specific, it appears that they can assist with the diagnostic procedures that are already in place. So currently the primary method for diagnosis of tuberculosis is to use sputum. And they take that sputum and they put it onto microscopy slides. And an excellent microscopist has to read those slides and determine whether or not it contains sufficient numbers of acid-fast bacilli to diagnose it as being non-tuberculous mycobacteria tuberculosis. And so that requires a lot of expertise and takes a lot of time. But this technology, since it's light production, we can hook it up or actually put it into tubes that can go directly into a luminescent reader. And there are handheld luminescent readers that are very cost efficient. And so you can, with no technical expertise, diagnose sputum directly with these compounds that we're producing. Instead of using a very complex system to diagnose patients, we expect that in the developing world we'll be using this assist with the current diagnostic methods. Currently, a diagnosis of tuberculosis can take up to two weeks. So how long does this system take? Well, we're able to get a reading on significant numbers of bacteria within 30 minutes. But if they've got a very low burden, so if the sputum contains very few bacilli, it usually takes us about 24 hours. What studies have you and your team conducted as clinical trials and what were the results that you've seen? We haven't gotten to clinical trials yet. This project has been funded as part of an exploratory project, and so we've mostly been developing the technology since up to this point there has been no method for optical detection of tuberculosis. And So this is the first optical detection method that has been successful in imaging in animals, and so we've shown that this technology works in mice and it works in guinea pigs. And so we're moving it forward now to diagnose sputum samples in diagnostic laboratories here in the U.S., and we expect that over the next few years we'll be able to go into some sort of clinical trial if, if the technology proves successful. And who are your partners in research? Most of our funding support comes from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And were other universities or hospitals involved? We have a Stanford University Medical School is, is involved in this research. They do a lot of the chemistry and some of the technology development has been there. Caliper Life Sciences has also been involved, a, a company that's based in Alameda, California. We have collaborators and consultants at Methodist Hospital here in Houston, and we have collaborators at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis.
There's one question I also wanted to ask about the fluorescence. Does it require the patient or the test subject, whether it be an animal or a person, to go into a dark room? Some of these would potentially require that, but the cameras that they're currently using for clinical trials, they're actually in a room that is lighted and they seem to be sufficiently sensitive that they basically use a shield that blocks out extraneous light so they don't have to actually be in a dark room, although that may make it the most sensitive and we're considering different options for that. But yes, it's, a, it's an interesting question whether or not that would work out well with patients if they would like that or not. And if doctors want to know more about this technology or your research, what's a good website or a good source of information they can go to? Most of this research hasn't been published up to this point, but they can go to the Texas A&M Health Science Center website and they can find out more about recent developments because we have a website within theirs under the Center for Airborne Pathogens Research. Great. Well, my thanks to you, Dr. Cirillo, for being our guest today. We've been discussing new optical imaging technology to improve the diagnosis and treatment of tuberculosis. I'm Dr. Mary Lushars. You've been listening to a special segment, The Future of Medicine on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions through our website at reachmd.com, which now features our entire medical show library in on-demand podcasts. 